But for today, we are continuing in our Nehemiah message series. Uh, Brett last week did a fantastic job kicking off this series. We are in week two today. And uh, if you missed that message, I would highly encourage you to go online to vaughnforce.com and click on the messages tab there. Uh, get called up. He did a, a really excellent job setting up the series and unpacking how we find ourselves in the situation that we are in in the book of Nehemiah. He really set that up. But I think to have a really, really good understanding, for us to understand how did Nehemiah and the nation of Israel find themselves in the situation that they found themselves in, and for us to understand what it is that the Lord has to say to us today, I want to go back and give a little bit more historical background on how Nehemiah and the Israelites, the nation of Israel, ended up in the situation that they are in. So I want to spend the next few minutes giving a little bit of a history lesson. And so I've entitled this portion of the sermon, A Brief History of the Old Testament. I hope you brought a lunch. No, I'm just kidding. I promise we're going to get you out on time. But we're going to go through just a brief history of the Old Testament, and this is not an exhaustive history of the Old Testament, but we're going to hit a couple of very important highlights that happened throughout the Old Testament to kind of help us understand what is happening at the time of Nehemiah. So obviously, creation happens, Adam and Eve, mankind falls, Noah and the flood, like I said, this was going to be brief, and we're going to fast forward all the way to the time of the patriarchs. Now, the patriarchs in the Old Testament are the forefathers of the nation of Israel. This is Abraham, this is Isaac, this is Jacob, and God makes a promise to Abraham that he will bless his descendants and he will provide land for them and that he will multiply his descendants. This is a promise made to Abraham. This is a covenant between God and Abraham known as the Abrahamic covenant, that God would bless his descendants, that he would give them land, and that he would multiply his descendants. Now, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, had a son named Joseph. And many of us know who Joseph is. Remember, his brothers sold him into slavery into Egypt, and through a series of events, he rose up to being second in command of the kingdom of Egypt. God then tells his father, Jacob, to pack up everyone and move to Egypt, and they settle in a land called Goshen, which is in a very fertile delta in Egypt. And what happens there? They prosper, and they multiply. And eventually, the Egyptians get upset about this because there's so many of them. So after a couple of centuries pass, they gradually put the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, into bondage and put them into slavery. So what does God do? God raises up a rescuer in the form of Moses. And we know the story. There's plagues, let my people go. And they leave. They cross the Red Sea on dry ground. And then Pharaoh's armies pursue after them. And the Pharaoh's armies are swallowed up and destroyed. So Moses leads the people to a mountain called Sinai. And there God gives Moses his law. And he establishes what is known as the Mosaic Covenant. So we have the Abrahamic covenant, which is I'm going to bless your descendants and give you land and multiply your descendants. And then we get the Mosaic covenant, which is God's law. And in the Mosaic covenant, there is this theme of if and then. If and then. If you obey, then I will bless you. If you disobey, then there will be a punishment that happens. So Moses and the rest of the Israelites, they take off from there, and they get right up to the edge of the land that was promised, the promised lands. And what, happen, what happens? They disobey. 
They turn away from the Lord. And so, because of that if-then covenant that was established, the Lord punishes that generation with the exception of two men named Joshua and Caleb who remain faithful to the Lord. They wander in the desert for 40 years outside of the promised land while that generation dies off. Once that happens, the Israelites enter the promised land and they take it under the leadership of Joshua. Once they are in the promised land, Israel decides that they want a king like the nations around them. So what does the Lord do? He gives them a king in the form of a man named Saul. Now Saul was a man's man. said he stood a foot higher than everyone else. But what does Saul do? He starts out well and then he turns from the Lord. And when he turns from the Lord, if you turn, then there is punishment. And the Lord gives the kingship to another man named David. Now Saul was this big man's man, stood a foot taller than everyone else. David was a shepherd boy who played a harp. There's a little bit of a difference there. But don't miss out on this because David was a boss. Scripture tells us that he killed lions and bears with his bare hands. He would go on to kill a giant. And with King David, another covenant is established, a promise that the Lord makes called the Davidic Covenant. And in the Davidic covenant, the Lord tells David that one of his descendants will sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. And it is through this descendant of David that all of mankind will be blessed and we will have a Savior. We know that this is going to result in the birth of Jesus. Now, an important note for our time today, talking about Nehemiah, the Davidic covenant, this looking forward to a Savior coming, is the covenant that they are living under at this time. They are waiting for a Savior to come. So you have the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and now the Davidic covenant. And this is what they are living under at this time. Now, under David's leadership, Israel does great. They prosper and they flourish. Yes, mistakes are made, but the nation follows the Lord. David is known as a man after the Lord's own heart, and the nation of Israel prospers. And when David passes, his son Solomon is crowned as king. Solomon is the wisest man who has ever lived. And during his time, the peace of David continues. David conquered so many of the nations around them, and the kingdom of Israel was so great During Solomon's time, this peace continues. During this time, the temple of the Lord is built. This is a great time. If you live in ancient history, this is where you want to be. This is a great place to be. And Israel is this regional powerhouse. So you can see, as Solomon starts to get older, and he's looking at who is coming after him in some of his writings, you can see that Solomon starts to get a little bit concerned about who is going to follow after him in leadership, that they won't fear the Lord and they won't follow the Lord. And sure enough, Solomon is right. The kings that come after him do not follow the Lord. They are foolish. They do not have his wisdom. So a civil war breaks out, and the nation of Israel is split into two different kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom, which stays called Israel. It remains Israel. And then you have the southern kingdom, which becomes known as Judah. Now, the northern kingdom did not do very well at all. Scripture tells us they had wicked king after wicked king after wicked king. And eventually, in 722 B.C., the Assyrian Empire comes in and conquers Israel. 
and they put many folks to death, and the rest they carry off into slavery. There's a remnant left there, but they are broken down, and they are absolutely living in squalor and poverty. So the southern kingdom of Judah does a little bit better. Scripture would tell us there was kind of this pattern where they would have like wicked kings and then a good king who would turn them back to the Lord, and then wicked kings and then a good king who would turn them back to the Lord, but eventually they too turn away from the Lord. And the Lord pours out that punishment on them. And in about 590 B.C., the Babylonian Empire, which had replaced the Assyrian Empire, comes in, conquers the kingdom of Judah, and they do the exact same thing. Many folks are put to death. The rest seem to be spread throughout the Babylonian Empire, put into slavery, put into different roles of service. But remember, God had made these covenants. God had promised land. God had promised blessing. God had promised that these descendants would multiply. God had said that through the lineage of David that a Savior would come who would sit on the throne forever and ever. And even though they had turned away from the Lord, the Lord had promised that if you will turn back to me, then I will redeem you and I will bring your people, the nation of Israel, back together. So what happens next is the nation of Persia is going to show up on the scene, and they conquer Babylon. So Persia is now the big empire in the known world, and this is what is going to set the stage for us as we begin to read in Nehemiah today. And the Persian emperor Cyrus, as we see throughout this series, the Holy Spirit is going to impress on his heart to begin to let some of these folks, the remnant of Israel, to go back to Jerusalem. There's a guy named Ezra who is going to rebuild the temple, and then we've got our boy Nehemiah for this series who is going to go back and rebuild the wall. Now, kind of a cool thing. When we read about the temple being rebuilt, when we read about the wall being rebuilt, I want you to understand these are the same locations that we'll read about in the Gospels. This wall, these gates that are being built, these are the ones that Jesus and the disciples would walk through. The temple that Ezra would rebuild, this was the temple that Jesus would get lost in as a boy. So there are a lot of implications for our faith as we read through this book of Nehemiah. So the city wall has been broken down, kind of catching us up to where we are. The city wall has been broken down, and the people there are living in abject squalor. They are living in poverty. They are open to attack. In these ancient times, if you did not have a city wall, your city was wide open to attack. It was essential. It was incredibly dangerous to not have a city wall. And I think for us today, that can be a little bit hard for us to understand. Like, I live in a neighborhood where if someone in a sketchy vehicle drives down the street, 50 old ladies get on our Facebook page and immediately start posting about it. And everybody turns their cameras to it, and we follow that person until they're out of our neighborhood. Like, there is not a moment that goes unnoticed in our neighborhood. But I was watching a video with my wife. We love to watch, like, travel vloggers on YouTube and get to see all the locations they go to. And in uh, these particular vloggers, they were in South Africa. And it was a beautiful place, and I'm not knocking South Africa. If you're from South Africa or watching from South Africa, uh, South Africa is wonderful. But the thing that struck me as they went around to some of these different neighborhoods, and I'm talking neighborhoods that look like the Waters or Deer Creek or Wind Lakes, was each home had a tall wall around the entire property with this barbed wire at the top. And they explained in the video the reason that is is because in many parts of South Africa, 
There is no effective police force. There is no one to come and help you if things were to go wrong, if you were to get attacked. So what happens when the attack comes? There's no one there to help you, and you are left open and vulnerable. And it is hard, I think, for us to imagine that environment, but that is the situation that these folks in Jerusalem, this remnant of Israel, was living in at the time of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is going to get this news. We talked about this last week. He gets this news that the city walls are down and the people are living in poverty and living in shame. And even though this is not where Nehemiah is currently living These are still his people and his tribe and his nation, and he wants to change the situation. And so that's the title of our message today, is Time for a Change. And we're going to be spending the rest of our time today talking about what to do when you find yourself in a situation that needs a change. And we're going to be in Nehemiah 1, 4 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to be picking up in verse 4 and going through verse 11. If you don't have your Bibles, no worries. We'll put all the scripture up here on the screen so that you can follow along. But what I want to do is I want to read through the scripture as a whole, and then we're going to go back and kind of break it down little bit by little bit so we can kind of better understand what it is that the Lord has for us today. So picking it up in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. This is what Nehemiah says. Remember, he's just gotten the news that Israel and the city of Jerusalem are without walls, and they are open, they are vulnerable to attack, and everything has been destroyed. He says this, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel." I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have not, or we have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, I was cupbearer to the king. So like I said, there's a lot to unpack here. And we're going to go back and we're going to take it kind of verse by verse and take a look at what is it that we need to do? What are the practical steps that we need to do when we find ourselves in this situation? Typically a situation of our own making where we want to change our circumstances. Do we have to stay there or is there another way? Can we change those circumstances we find ourselves in? So picking it back up in chapter 1, verse 4, this is what Nehemiah says. It says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now let me tell you right off of the rip, this seems like kind of an odd verse. This is a little bit odd, because Nehemiah, he's hearing about these things, but Nehemiah is not in this situation physically. Nehemiah is 800 miles away, and he is in the palace of the emperor 
of the known world. Not only that, he is cupbearer to the king. The king trusts him with his life. Everything that the emperor eats or drinks, Nehemiah eats or drinks. And he ain't eating and drinking the cheap stuff. This is the good stuff, all right? And so he is not in this situation, but news of what's happening reaches him. And what does he do? He weeps and he mourns and he's broken. He has compassion. He views his fellow brothers and sisters in the situation they are in with compassion and with love. And Paul will remind us of the importance of this in the book of Galatians. In Galatians 6.2, he says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. And Nehemiah demonstrates this perfectly, that even though physically he is far away, his heart is near to those who are brokenhearted. And he includes himself in the situation and knows that there needs to be a change. So if you have your notes, go ahead and pull those out. When we find ourselves in a situation where we need to make a change, the first step is this. Change starts with an acknowledgement of the situation. Change starts with an acknowledgement of the situation. See, so many of us, when we find ourselves in these circumstances that we would really rather not be in, we tend to want to ignore it, right? We tend to want to just... Ignore what's going on and hope that it is going away. And whether that be some sort of sin, maybe it's marital problems, maybe it's parenting issues, maybe other relational issues, maybe it's unhappiness with your job, maybe it's a financial issue that you are dealing with, whatever it may be, we ignore the issue and we hope that it's going to go away. But unfortunately, that is just not reality. That is just not reality. And until we face the facts and we acknowledge the situation and acknowledge that there is a problem, we cannot even begin to address it. Now, why do we do that? Well, maybe we are just embarrassed how we ended up in the situation. Maybe we made some really dumb decisions to get there and we don't want anyone to know about it. Maybe we think that facing the consequences of our situation would be just too much and it would cost us way too much. It can be any number of things. And oftentimes, in order for us to even begin to acknowledge a situation, there has to come what I like to call a day of desperation. And this is a day where the situation gets so bad that you cannot ignore it anymore. Can I encourage you with something? Do not wait on a day of desperation. Face the music Now, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. The longer you wait to acknowledge this issue and address it, the worse it is going to get. You decide how deep that day of desperation goes. So to start the change process, we have to acknowledge the situation and acknowledge where we are at. And that is what Nehemiah is doing here. He's acknowledging the situation. Let's read on. Picking it up here in verse 5. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses, remember that Mosaic covenant that we talked about, that if you obey, blessing, and if you don't obey, there will be punishment. And we see in these verses that Nehemiah has a really good grasp on two important things. The first is he has a really good grasp, he has a right view of who God is, 
but he also has a right view of who we are. See, God is good. God is faithful. But in these circumstances that the Israelites found themselves in, I think it would have been really easy for them to doubt that. See, Nehemiah understands that God is always faithful. But for so many of these Israelites, it would have been really easy to doubt that. They've been forced out of the promised land. They've been conquered. They've been in exile. How is it that God is keeping his promises at this point? But what does Nehemiah pray? He says that you are good, you are faithful, you keep your promises. How can he pray that in this situation? Because he also has a right view of who we are. Because what Nehemiah says next is, Lord, we have sinned. This is on us. We have turned away from you. We have gotten ourselves into this mess. And he includes himself and his father's family in that. He knows that they have put themselves in the situation. It is their fault. To put this in modern language, to use one of the great lyricists of our time, Taylor Swift, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Nehemiah knows this that he is the problem, that Israel is the problem. It's not God not being faithful because the Lord is always faithful. The Lord always keeps his promises. He knows that it is themselves who have put themselves in the situation. So he acknowledges the situation, and the next step in order to change the circumstances is this. Change continues with confession and repentance. Change continues with confession and repentance. If you are living in sin and want to change your situation, confess that sin to the Lord and repent. If you are living in some sort of relational strife, go confess to that person, talk to that person and begin to make that right. Whatever it is, do not wait. The longer you wait, we said this already, the worse it will get. Make the decision today to confess and change Directions. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about the different valleys that we face in our lives. And we said that when you find yourself in a valley of your own making, the only thing you can do is change directions immediately. Confess and repent, change directions. And it is amazing what confession will do almost immediately for your soul. David writes about this in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 32, he says, When I refuse to confess my sin... My body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Have you ever been in a circumstance or in a situation where you just felt like there was this heavy burden on you? But look at what happens when he confesses. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. That burden is immediately gone. In the book of Acts, Acts 3, it says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I know that there has been a lot of times in my life where I needed that time of refreshing from the Lord. Maybe sitting here today in this room watching online, you would say that you need a time of refreshing from the Lord. Confess, repent, 
change directions. The sooner you do so, the sooner the situation can begin to change. And I know that as we talk about this if-then relationship, and understand, we live under the new covenant, the covenant of grace that Jesus has brought about. It may seem kind of harsh that the Lord would conquer these kingdoms and exile these people. But what you have to understand is that the Lord is a good father. And scripture tells us that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And if you have a child, if you are a parent in here, I know we do, we have several, a uh, couple of daughters, and I am more concerned with the women that they are becoming than their temporary happiness. And so, yes, we discipline them, we punish them when they step out of line, we help them to understand. And hear me say this today, that the Lord is more concerned with your holiness than he is your temporary happiness. The Lord is far more concerned with your holiness than your temporary happiness. So to make a change, we acknowledge the situation, and then we confess and repent. Let's read on in Nehemiah 1, picking it up in verse 8. He says this, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. So Nehemiah has acknowledged the situation, he has confessed his sin, and he has repented. He is now going to focus on and remember something that is so important, and we've said it a couple of times today, but it's this, that God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. Even when we are not faithful, the Lord is faithful. And he reminds the Lord here, not that the Lord needs reminding, but we do. He said, God, you have said that if we will turn away from our sin and turn back to you, that you will redeem us and you will rescue us and you will rebuild us. And this is a bold prayer that Nehemiah is praying here. The situation for the Israelites seemed incredibly hopeless. In ancient times, nations didn't just disappear to be rebuilt and reappear. That just did not happen. And just like for the Hebrews, how their situation seemed hopeless, maybe today the situation that you're thinking of as I talk about this seems kind of hopeless. Maybe it seems like there is no way out. But what I want you to hear me say today is this is the good news, that our God is the God of the impossible, and there is no situation that he cannot change. There is no situation that you find yourself in that he cannot rescue you from. So to do so, after we acknowledge a situation, after we confess and repent, the next step in change is this. Change means trusting in God's promises. Change means trusting in God's promises. And I'm convinced that so many of us do not see our situations change because we refuse to believe, because the situation seems so hopeless, that God could act. But hear me today, that God is the God of the impossible. And it would have been so easy for Nehemiah in this situation to, to just move on, right? To not pay attention to it again. He's in the palace of the emperor. He's cupbearer to the king. He doesn't have to worry about this, but he says no, and he puts himself in the situation. Why? Because he has compassion for his fellow man, and because, too, he remembers what the Lord has promised. He remembered that the Lord had said that if you turn away from your sin and trust me, that I will redeem your nation. We can trust in God's promises. They are good. There is no situation that we face that God cannot act in it. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bibles from Romans chapter 8, and it says this, begins, 
beginning in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That is a really tough situation. Beginning in verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. No situation that you find yourself in can separate you from the love of God. That is his promise, and we can trust in it. So we acknowledge the situation, we confess and we repent, we remember the Lord's promises, and let's wrap it up today, see what Nehemiah writes, beginning in verse 10. It says, They are your servants and your people, who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah isn't just going to stop by praying. Now hear me, prayer is important. Before we ever do anything, pray. While you're doing it, pray. Once you're done, pray. Prayer is so important. But Nehemiah concludes this prayer by asking the Lord to bless what he is about to do. And what is he about to do? We'll talk about that next week. We're not going to unpack that today. But Oftentimes, we hear about something that ought not be. We see a situation that ought not be, and we pray about it, which is good, but then maybe we move on. Well, what about when the Lord is still tugging at your heart? What about when there's a circumstance in your life, you've prayed about it, and the Lord is tugging at your heart, and you hear that Holy Spirit whisper that you need to do something more? The Lord calls us to action, and that is the last step in changing our circumstances, that change requires action. We pray, and then we act. Change requires action. And we see this so clearly with Nehemiah. It would have been so easy for him just to let this go, but the Lord was tugging at his heart to take action. Now again, what he did, the action he's going to take, we're going to talk about next week. We'll unpack that, so make sure you're here for that. The band's going to come and lead us in a time of response. And as they do, the question that we need to ask ourselves today is what action is it that you need to take to change your situation or to help change the situation of others? And as we respond in worship here in just a moment, my prayer is that as you pray, if you're looking to change your situation, that you would pray that God would reveal to you what those next steps are. That God would speak to your heart whether that's confessing a sin to him, whether that's going to begin to make a relationship right to redeem and rebuild that relationship, whatever the action is in your life that you need to take, my prayer is that you would ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. Maybe God's calling you to take action for a a friend or a family member, maybe even someone you don't know. My prayer as we respond and worship in just a moment is that you would ask the Lord to reveal that step to you. But whatever it is today, my prayer 
is that you would take the next step that the Lord is calling you to, to change whatever situation it may be that you are facing or that you see others facing. God always keeps his promises. No matter our circumstances, he is good. Let's pray. So Father, we do thank you for how good you are. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, even when we are not faithful, you are always faithful. And God, we praise you for that. God, I pray for those who are in this room or for those who may be watching online. God, I just pray that you would reveal to them what it is that you have for them, the next step that they would take to change their situation, to help change the situation of others. God, ultimately, we trust in you because you are good. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We invite you to stand as we respond together in worship.